0: Two a swing
1: a Deep left. Way back. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. Got another great show for you today. We're breaking down the Marlins top 10 prospects. And to do that, we're joined by Andre Fernandez. Andre is a longtime Marlins beat writer for a couple different outlets. He put together the top 10 for us this year at Baseball America Andre, it has been a very, very adventurous year, to say the least, but especially for the Marlins. They had a COVID-19 outbreak the first weekend of the season, ultimately sidelined 18 players, decimated their roster. They rebounded to post their first winning season since 2010, make the playoffs for the first time since 2003, and they swept the Cubs in the wildcard series. Really kind of an incredible story. And then at the end of the year, we saw them in the headlines again for a monumental change. They parted ways with Michael Hill, longtime executive, and hired Kim Ang, the first female general manager in Major League Baseball history. When you look at where the Marlins are now entering 2021, after everything that happened in 2020, on the field, in the front office, looking at what's in their farm system, how do you kind of assess where they are as a franchise right now?
0: I'd say, you know, generally more positive than I was afraid they'd be a few months ago, considering the obstacles and considering everything, you know, and there were still a lot of doubts in terms of we've seen the potential. We've seen the growth of their farm system, but there's still a lot of guys where you say the jury's still out. We got to see how they're going to develop at the next levels, that sort of thing. And that was lost, like you said, this year with COVID, losing the minor league season, you know, like losing the real chance to see that. But I think it's encouraging to see the way Sixto came up, the way he pitched, and then other guys that we were we, – they had some hope for, but they've progressed faster than we thought, like a Trevor Rogers, for example, who took a big leap and, and even maybe jumped the line on a couple other pitchers we thought might get there first and did well, held his own at the major league level. So, overall, I think it, with the hiring of Kim and, and and the moves that they're making, I guess the one concern I'd say is just how – this is a problem that a lot of teams are going to have bouncing back from the pandemic financially – Marlins, we know, are a low payroll team, you know, usually and, you know, without the revenue sharing, that sort of thing, how much are they going to be able to complement their roster next year and go out and get pieces that do cost to get? And, and you know, that's the part that I think will be interesting to see how that develops as guys continue to develop and make it to the
1: major leagues. Yeah, I think one thing that you look at that's really encouraging for the Marlins moving forward is... Over the last few years, they've done a really good job identifying young pitchers in the minor leagues to acquire in trades. You mentioned Sixto Sanchez. They acquired him in the J.T. Real Muto deal. They acquired Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallon in the deal for Marcelo Zuna. Obviously, they traded Gallen, but he proved to be a very astute acquisition. They acquired Caleb Smith from the Yankees a few years ago. Again, a nice young pitcher who they've since traded as well to go get Starling Marte. Pablo Lopez was acquired in the trade for David Phelps. I feel like we've seen this organization do a pretty good job identifying young pitching and trades. and that's such a critical part of building a sustainable contender.
0: Yeah, and that's the part I think they're going to continue to have to be, and you hope that Kim Man can bring even more wisdom in that category because when you look at their stockpile of arms now, especially at the farm system level, that was, a, that was even hard for me doing this, this for, for Baseball America was figuring out looking two, three years down the road, what is this rotation going to look like because you have so many options Even some that are incumbents right now, like Sandy, like Pablo Lopez that could still be there by that point. But at some point, they're going to have to identify, I guess you could say, who's expendable, where they can trade to balance it out and maybe get a couple more bats, that sort of thing, and and who they'd like to keep and make part of that future. So again, that, that whole strategy of identification is
1: going to be crucial going forward. Yeah, we mentioned they traded Gallon to go get Jazz Chisholm. They traded Caleb Smith to get Starling Marte. Uh, Last year, they traded Trevor Richards and Nick Anderson to go get Jesus Sanchez. So We've already seen them start to trade some of these arms they've astutely identified in order to go get some bats. We still have to see, uh, in the case of Chisholm and Sanchez, if those bats pay off. Andre, diving into this top 10, we do need to start with Sixto Sanchez. Made his major league debut this year, showcased wicked stuff, and obviously, this is a franchise that has a long history of trading stars. The most recent incarnation of that was Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, JT Realmuto. It always hurts when you do that, but having a guy like Sixto come up makes you feel a little better about trading JT Realmuto. Just knowing you have a guy like this, I mean, it makes
0: it look like they won the trade, which some people at the beginning, you know, we've we've it's always been kind of like the focus on the Yelich trade and how you know how deficient it was for them and how big it was for Milwaukee. This one looks like a win, especially now that JT may not even stay in Philadelphia after a couple of years, but they got six out of it. Like you said, a top of the rotation guy. They also have still have hope that Jorge Alfaro will continue to come along and be a catcher. They can hang on to for several years. You know, Will Stewart, you know, he's had his issues with control at the minor league level is kind of falling off the radar now, but he's still there. They're, they haven't given up on him either. So overall it's looking good. And that's the thing. I think the the more recent wave of trades for them, have generated more positive results or more tangible results where you can see these guys are making more progress. And, and that's a good sign overall that the franchise is
1: trending upward. Yeah, I still look back at the Ozuna trade. Getting Alcantara and Gallon in that deal was huge. They traded Gallon, but just getting those two guys was a win for the organization. With Sixto, I mean, was there any debate for anyone else in your discussions talking to Marlins officials, talking to scouts outside the Marlins organization? Was there anyone else even close to him for number one prospect? I mean, the only one maybe
0: somewhat close would have been Bladey, but to me it was, from talking to everybody, it was a no-brainer. It was basically if he exceeded his innings limit or not, in terms of being able just to, qualify, to graduate as a prospect or not. If he didn't, he's in. So, to, And especially after what he did at the major league level. Yes, he had a little bit of trouble with the Braves, and especially at the end of the season, those last couple starts, and maybe the the youth and the inexperience got a little exposed there at the end, but I, but it's not anything that looks like it can't be worked on, and remember again he he gets elevated this year and you're not and he didn't have a triple A season for example he didn't get a chance to pitch at that level so it was a it was a straight jump from double A, so all that if next season you can return to some sort of normalcy in terms of like minor league progression he's going to continue to work on those things and continue to to develop his secondary pitches even more than – and not just the, that. A lot of people think the fastball is not perfect either. It can be worked on. It can be honed a little better. The command can be a little better. And and, and all those things just put together. But the, what I love about him is the the confidence out there. He comes out and he pitches at a good pace. When he's pitching at a good pace and a good rhythm, he's really hard to hit. And, and that's something that's going to serve him well
1: you know, for many years. Yeah, he came out and was dominant over his first five starts, got hit a little bit his final two starts against the Nationals and the Braves, had a good playoff start against the Cubs, struggled against the Braves again. Was there any concern just about the way he finished out? Obviously, the league always adjusts and it's on the young player to adjust back. Was there any concern about the way things ended up there?
0: I'd say that maybe a, a little concern, nothing crazy concern, but I think a little bit in terms of, yeah, it was, you didn't see him in the playoff game. That was the second time he had faced – actually, it was the third time he had faced Atlanta, and Atlanta adjusted to him. But you wonder if it's just because of the small window, and maybe that's something that, again, it's going to take some time in the offseason, more reps, more, you know, more working on your pitches, that sort of thing, to really get to that point. I mean, Atlanta's going to be a headache for anybody. That lineup is tremendous. But he did show that he can – you know, th- thrown into that role – more than held his own down the stretch. And I, I think it's something that it's just a, a matter of working with Mel Stottlemyre and those guys little by little, uh, you know, together.
1: As you mentioned, young kid, abnormal season, making the jump straight from double A. Like the fact it wasn't perfect is okay. He's really, yeah. really good. He's going to have a very, very nice future. Yeah. You mentioned JJ Blade got a little bit of love. I do want to ask about him because really since he was drafted, the reviews from, outside evaluators have been, frankly, very, very vanilla. You know, the Marlins obviously invested a lot in him as a top five overall pick. They are very, very, very invested in his future success and obviously believe in him. But I noticed you put a a 60 hit and a 60 power on him, on his tools grades. The more I've kind of spoken to evaluators who saw him last year, saw him in Instructs, there is some concern that it's more 50-50. Like, again, a, a good player, a solid everyday player, and those are super valuable, but maybe not the star that the Marlins were hoping for when they took him as high as they did in the draft. What are you kind of hearing about him, and how do you kind of suss out the difference between the internal reports and the external reports?
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the, the 60-60, I wouldn't say is like completely, I guess, etched in stone. Like, it's, you're right, there is a little bit of a wiggle room there from, from what you're seeing. I think it's all based on, The fact that he showed improved and continues to show that 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 strike zone discipline and he's he's he sees the ball well, this is a guy who's not going to strike out a ton. I think over time, I think once he gets even more experience, again, single A, high A, Jupiter, and that's it. We haven't really been able to see him, you know, at Double A yet. We haven't really been able to see him really take that next stride into the upper levels of the minors and see how he reacts, you know. But the power is the power is there, especially on the left side. I think it, not just for Bladé, but this goes for a lot of their prospects that are lefties. That's going to translate well if they do make it up and, in that ballpark at Marlins park where, where lefties can really, you know, thrive in, in lineups like that. And, and, and it looks like it's building into a very heavily lefty hitting constructive lineup with power guys down the road. So I think when it comes down to that, I think it's a little bit just, you know, continuing to try and, you know, elevate a little more and, and, you know, overall the package seems like it, it has a lot of upside. I mean, you know, from just the, 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 defense, you know, the, the pretty decent speed for, you know, for a guy who could probably play in the corner outfield. I mean, he's looking like their future right fielder overall, but when it comes to the, the, the hitting numbers, I think it just comes down to that, like how much he can continue to, you know, to get on base and, 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 and work on that strikeout rate, not to get, you know, like some of these other guys that they have in the system, which we've, we've, we've had some concerns
1: about. Yeah, I think he's the guy, honestly, I'm most intrigued to see in 2021 because, again, his pro debut in 2019, he'd already played a long college season. And then 2020 is just such an abnormal year. You're talking about instructs looks, alternate training site looks, and it's tough to get a true gauge on a guy off of that. So it wouldn't surprise me if he comes out next year and with a full season on a normal schedule, it's like, oh, there it is. Um, again, he's going to be one of the more fascinating guys, at least for me to see what he looks like, given kind of the disparity between the internal and external reports. Andre, the Marlins have quite a few other guys who are top 100 prospect type candidates. Uh, Max Meyer was the first pitcher taken in the draft this year. Everyone loved what he did at Minnesota, Jazz Chisholm, Edward Cabrera, also top 100 guys. We saw Trevor Rogers come up and make his major league debut this year. Another former first rounder. Take us through this next year of guys, and where did it all start and stop, if you will.
0: Well, after sixth and sixth, though, and JJ, I would I think uh, Max was pretty solid at three because I think people saw, even though he was a little bit of a surprise pick at that high, the slider is tremendous. I mean, that, that that all the feedback I got was immediately it was the best slider in the system, and 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 one that really really has a lot of good upside. And then that combination of him having you know that potential to have a seventy fastball to pair it up with is really enticing. I mean, when you look at it, if he, if he even has his other offerings hit like that sort of like above average type, you're talking about a reliable starter. I mean, to me, he's a guy that you project in that rotation in a couple of years, like solid, like from the way it's looking right now, again, there's a little bit of the risk factors, a little bit of the unknown too, because we really haven't, we weren't able to see him, you know, they take it there, but if he's another one, like you said, like legit, like, like, like day, once we see it, we might be like, all right, that's what we were talking about. That's what everybody thought they'd see. So he at three, I think he was pretty solid. Then it kind of got a little muddled there. Where I mean, I love what Jazz did, even though I know he didn't light light it up too much as far as you know results at, at the bat. But I think the the defense showed at the major league level. It, it there's potential there. Again, he just needs to work a little bit more, cut down on the strikeouts, you know, and that sort of thing. But I think the tools kind of showed, at where he looks like their shortstop of the future, maybe even the shortstop of the present, because the other day. The Marlins, uh, Kim Ang even said at this point, you know, it, it, some of those middle infield spots, you know, might even be solidified next year or they're at least like up for grabs where Jazz is right in that mix already. We may not don't, don't even have to wait to see him somewhere in there, maybe even take second for a little while until he switches over to shortstop. They have Miguel Rojas there. Now, the harder part I think to me was Edward Cabrera. I kind of wanted to keep him in the top five because again he's very similar to Six though and all that potential again to be a frontline power throwing starter Trevor Rogers definitely I think deserved the jump because of what he did we mentioned earlier how how fast he kind of you know jumped the line became like the next best pitching prospect that they brought up and was solid at that level then the one that I I think you know looking at it I had a hard time kind of sorting where to put was Jesus Sanchez and then Lewin Diaz and those guys I think were kind of interchangeable for me in, in terms of what order to put them in, only because, I mean, Jesus struggled. The feedback I got was that he kind of let the big stage get to him a little bit, you know, in his first time up there, and that that's something they feel like maybe the next time he might be a little more ready again, like oh, since all these guys kind of were thrown in there quickly, you know, and not a typical season, that sort of thing that then maybe that was where he struggled. But again, it, it's just, you know, the, the, the tools are there, you know, the big arm, the big, you know, the big power bat, but again, it's those guys that are right now—they're kind of high risk. The the reason I gave Lewin the nod was, the feedback I got with him was on the defensive side. Him being so much ready to take over that first base spot, you know. I know they re-signed Aguilar and they're bring Jesus Aguilar and they're bringing him back for this coming season. But if they had to, I think they're they have the the trust now that Lewin is all, is pretty much ready to handle at least playing the first base position. That 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 faith right there, you kind of lessen the risk right there, and that's kind of why I. I tip the scale in this case a little bit more in his favor.
1: Yeah, I think what stands out is, and large part, again, because of the COVID-19 outbreak, so many of these guys have been to the majors, they've seen what it's like, and it's only going to make them better. Jesus Sanchez made his major league debut this year. Lewin Diaz made his major league debut this year. Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett, who's further down this list, Jazz Chisholm, as we talked about. It's a group that is very, very young and in a lot of cases did not have much experience, if any, above double A but they got this experience and for the most part they struggled, but you learn from it and you take it forward and hopefully come back better. Yeah. And
0: and that's the thing um, when you look, even I don't, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to look further down the list, but then even a Braxton Garrett was a guy that him and Trevor were like neck and neck. But again, Trevor made the jump this year, stuck it out, earned a rotation spot. And if they had gotten a little further in the playoffs or maybe pushed that Atlanta series, Trevor was in the mix to potentially make a start maybe in game four
1: or maybe even game five if they would have needed it. Yeah, I actually want to circle back on Trevor in a second, but I want to go back to Jazz Chisholm. How likely is it that he will make enough contact to get to his prodigious tools? Because again, it's an uppercut swing. It's the type of swing where there's going to be swings and misses. Realistically, is he going to make enough contact? Because that's always been the million-dollar question with him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little more faith from them and, and some scouts that he could do it maybe ahead of a couple other guys. I know one that's really you know, ru- you know know caused some alarm now the way he's been struggling is, is Monte Harrison, another, sim- another similar situation there with the strikeouts. But it, it's definitely a risk because I, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I, I think he's got a better shot at it. He's shown some improvement here and there, but I think it's one of those things where we're going to have to see it this coming season whether it's at, you know, in spring training, whether it's in a uh, major, you know, if he makes the major league roster right out of the gate and continues to play, or if they send him down for a little bit to maybe get some work at, at the triple a level and continue to, to develop, but he's going to have to show more consistency in that regard. I think his 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 athleticism and maybe his reactions, you know, at the plate have been, have gotten a little bit better. And I think he can, he has a shot at it, but I think it's, it's one of those things where he really does need to refine it and, you know, and, and prove it, and prove it really by, do it, by doing
1: it at those levels next season. And again, this is not someone who's ever going to contend for a batting title. We're talking about 250. But if he can get to yeah. 250 with the impact he provides, the power, the speed on the bases, you know, 250 with 20 and 20 while playing good shortstop is a very good player. The concern is if he's hitting 220. And exactly. that's also the possibility that we have to be aware of. Right, exactly. I mean,
0: at best, you know, you hope. I mean, if he ends up hitting, like you said, two seventy, even or something like that, you're you're like lighting up. the The Marlins should be ecstatic. But you're right; it's more the power. And then, you know, the the defense is going to be there. The speed's going to be there. It's just don't don't make yourself a hole in the lineup. And you're hitting two o five and really being a, a hindrance there. And that's what you'd really want want him to see that he avoids that.
1: We touched on Trevor Rogers earlier, and this to me is actually an interesting case. We've talked about the Marlins identifying solid young pitchers in trades. Rogers was a homegrown draftee. Garrett was a homegrown draftee. With a lot of these guys, again, when they've acquired them, they have not been major leaguers. They've been minor leaguers. and I feel like the Marlins have done a really good job developing their guys. Again, acquisition is the first part, but you also have to properly develop them once you get them. And I've been impressed with what the Marlins have done with a lot of their pitchers. And Trevor Rogers, to me, is sort of the main guy in that. I saw Rogers pitch at Greensboro a couple years ago, and I remember watching him thinking, it's all here. You see the arm. You see the body. You see the stuff. But he was super young and super raw just in terms of, I mean, he was not comfortable pitching with runners on base. He was not having the same mechanics from the stretch. He would get frustrated on the mound. Like all the things you see from a young pitcher where you say, okay, if you can hone this in and the team can work with him and fix all these things, the stuff is there for this guy to be really good. But we see a lot of young pitchers have great stuff and it's those little things they never figured out and they kind of top out in double A. I mean that a lot of times is a separator there. It's the little things, not just the pure stuff and the tool grades. I was really impressed to see how the Marlins just kind of tightened everything up. They helped this kid develop. We saw him have a breakout year when he jumped to Jupiter in Jacksonville, came up to the majors this year, had some really good starts, maintained his rotation spot throughout the season. Again, young guy. There were some things to work on. There were some bad outings with some good outings. But on the whole, I just saw the development of Trevor Rogers as probably – one of the reasons I feel most confident the Marlins will get the most from a lot of the pitchers they have in their organization. Yeah. And
0: I definitely, I mean, if, when you look at it, the, the, the thing that I heard more than once about him that basically I asked the question, I'm like, why Trevor and not Braxton and not Edward and not, you know what I mean? Like, why did he jump the line? And they were like, he showed the most improvement and, and they highlighted the slider which was interesting because the changeup actually was, was a lot better this year for him, but it was the sliders. The way he was getting hitters off balance with it. You know, the fastball is not extremely overpowering. Yeah, it's in the mid-90s, and he, he moves it well, spins it well. But it was that development of that second pitch. Apparently, he, he, he changed, you know, a little bit how he threw it, changed the grip a little bit, and it, it was great for him. And then it's just the rest is what you said. You know, the, the big frame, the, the, the command. I mean, it wasn't perfect every time but it was solid enough and you saw some consistency out of it where they were impressed, not just to, to trust him, to take the, the, the mound at the major league level. But then when he got there, he, it it didn't phase him. Like he, he, he was the same guy. And, you know, with time, those things can improve and, and, and you're looking at, yeah, you have the big righty power arms like Sixto and Edward and possibly Max down the road. But I think he's carved himself a path at least to, to land in there is maybe like at least like a number three, number four, a
1: lefty guy that balances the rotation better down the road. Yeah. That was my next question is it seems like long-term again, Sixto has number one starter potential mm. Meyer again, even though he's smaller, the consensus out of the draft was yes, this guy can start. Yes. This guy can be a dominant starter at two, three. That was my next question. You know, Cabrera Rogers, Garrett, what is the future for these guys?
0: I mean, that, that's the logjam that, like, like we were talking about before, that they're going to have to figure out in order to balance the system in terms of hitting and pitching, which I think is still the, the, the big picture key here for them, who, who down the road can they maybe part with to, to improve? In other words, like right now, Sandy's there. He could be there for another few years. Pablo's there. He could be there if he's healthy for another few years. And then you then th- that begins the logjam. Then you know you obviously you want to have though in there. Cabrera if he turns out to be even you know maybe close to what though is, and then where does that land Trevor? That that's point now. Trevor's do- and oh and Max Meyer of course. And then so Trevor's already as good as he's been, down to number five now. Now now we're talking. And then Braxton is even not even in, in this five. So how does that play out? And that's where I think Trevor what he's done. If he can continue to build off of that, can kind of keep a spot there. Braxton what worries me was the velo didn't look as good as it normally did and, and but again very small sample size at the major league level and again like it, it was the alternate training site beyond that so we you hope that that's still coming along and maybe it's just going to take a little more time maybe than Trevor did to carve it but it's going it, to it's really a logjam and a good logjam in their case to have all those options and then try to figure out okay maybe we can trade one of these guys and, and land a big bat, you know, or, or package something like that down the road. But, but they all have a chance to crack the rotation. And that's, and that's, you know, a great problem to have that they haven't had until probably
1: the last couple of years uh, as a franchise. And Oh, by the way, Eliezer Hernandez was excellent as well before he got hurt and he's 25. So right. yeah, no, I was going to say yeah. like, Oh, we have too many good young pitchers. That's a terrible right. problem. I mean, I can't remember the last time you you felt that way about the Marlins, like, oh, we have this wealth of arms. It's right. probably been since those great rotations in the early 2000s that helped win yeah. the World Series. I mean, there's, again, I'm not saying this is a World Series rotation, just my point is there's a lot of pitching talent here. And, and as you mentioned, we've already started to see over the last two years, they flip some of their arms for bats. We have to see how they develop. But I do feel like there is a pitching staff here to work with moving forward, and now it's just about filling out the lineup. With that, we talked a lot about this top nine as we went through this process, talked to scouts inside and outside the organization. You and I talked, you spoke to some of our colleagues. It seemed like there was a pretty firm top nine. We knew who this top nine group was. Mm. Number 10 was a long debate that took a lot of time involving a couple different players. Ultimately, what made Jose Devers the number 10 prospect? And take us through who the other candidates were for this spot.
0: Yeah, I mean, to initially, I Monte Harrison was in the mix. And it's, it's one of those things, again, where he's, the tools scream out at you, you know, and that's nothing new. But it's the, 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 the again, it's that problem of, he, he struck out, I think it was a 52, 53% rate at the major league level this year. And yes, he showed off the speed, but by the end of the season, he's basically a glorified pinch runner. And then that's the thing where it's like, are they? They weren't even really getting him the reps he needed to keep trying to keep, you know, getting up there. And that doesn't mean they've given up on him. But now he's 25. He's going to be 26 by next season. He's got to start to show it, you know, because uh, like I'll give you an example. Like even we, it, it's it's very similar to the way we talked about Lewis Brinson for a while. But guess what? Lewis Brinson finally kind of it finally kind, of, kind of clicked a little bit this year. He finally kind of put it together and started being productive. He started hitting well, hitting for a little bit of average too. And you know, that's still, I'm not saying Monte can't get there. I think he, he might still be able to, but it's a lot of alarm, I think, for a lot of scouts. Some scouts think it's never gonna happen. So with some of that feedback, I think Devers the problem with the, the one thing with Devers has been the injuries, but when he has been in there. He has hit well for average. He's made consistent contact. He's probably one of the best contact hitter they, the hitters that they have in the entire system. Plus, yes, he's like, you know, you look at the scrawny frame. He's never going to hit for power. He's probably going to hit like, he's going to be like Juan Pierre or or, or D. Gordon. They're going to hit him maybe like one or two home runs a year, but they don't need him for that. They need him to be one of those top of the lineup guys that can be a reliable second baseman. And I think that's the other thing, the path there too. Isan Diaz is the second baseman right now but it's pretty much an open competition. Kim Mang even said that going into next year. So kind of like the path is there for Devers to eventually maybe take that spot down the road where when you look at Monte, they have a surplus of outfielders right now. Is he going to get there? So I think that was kind of the tipping point. The others were Nick Neidert, who you know is a safe bet. He's going to potentially be – he could be a starter or he could be a bullpen piece you know, not a huge high ceiling, more of a safe kind of option. And then one that was still, I think he's, I, I, I had him in the conversation was their draft pick Dax Fulton, but he's still, you know, coming off the Tommy John high school kid. We haven't seen anything yet. So the risk factor is kind of, you know, high there. We don't know yet if he's going to live up to what he's at. So that's why I kind of went with Devers. It's kind of like the solid. He, he had a good year, even by the end of the season, he was on the taxi squad. He was impressing. They took him, to Atlanta and it was, or I'm sorry, to, to Houston for, you know, for the playoff series on the taxi squad and and was looking good in those SIM games too. You know, that's the feedback I kept getting. So kind of, it was very close, but that's kind of when you, when it came down to it, that's what won him the
1: tiebreaker. Yeah. And again, you mentioned the contact first and that's, that's huge because we've seen a lot of the guys, the Marlins acquired in trades and Devers was one of them. He came over in the John Carlos Stanton trade, but a lot of the guys the Marlins have acquired have been power over hit types: Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Ison Diaz, Jazz Chisholm, Jesus Sanchez. And generally speaking, it has not worked out. A lot of these guys have hit in the 100s or in some cases, mm-hmm. you know, Lewis Brinson. You mentioned he had a better year this year. Well, that was still 226 with a 268 on base percentage. Coming from where it was, it was like right. Right. Exactly. That's a 50-point jump in average, and you know, 30 or so in, in OBP. So That's the risk. You know, you always want to find the guys who hit first and power comes later. The Marlins have kind of tried to do it the other way, and there hasn't been a lot of success. And that was one thing. I remember speaking with evaluators during the 2019 season when I was asking about all these guys. One that told me that when he saw Lewis Brinson swing, he's like, this is the biggest red flag I've ever seen. He's going to get eaten alive. And, you know, he was telling me when he was kind of reviewing the Marlins systems, like, I think all these hitters are 40 to 45 grade players. I don't think any of them are going to hit enough to be first division regulars just because we can talk about tools all we want. If you don't make contact, none of it matters. So I'll be curious to see, you know, we've talked about the pitching development's been really, really good. The hitting side is the question mark here, but again, Devers being a contact first guy, maybe he's able to grow into some power. And even if not, like you said, enough contact and speed, that'll work. We just have to see if Chisholm and Sanchez and even to a degree, Lewin Diaz, just how much contact they're able to make. Cause that's been the question mark. And I feel like if the Marlins can, whether it's through acquiring different types of players or their hitting development, really helping these guys take a jump forward. That's what's going to be, what's going to make this team a contender and what is going to be a very difficult East. You mentioned the Braves are here to stay. They're not going mm-hmm. anywhere. You know, the financial might of the Phillies and Nationals cannot be ignored over the course of the long term. Obviously, this year and next year is going to be a little different. And oh, by the way, the Mets have a new ownership. They're re-energized. They have a really good young position player court and probably the best pitcher in the National League. So it's going to be tough. And I feel like for the Marlins, especially given their small market limitations, that to me is going to be the key. The hitters. Again, Brian Anderson has worked out great. He, for my money, is, is a really underrated player. Garrett Cooper was a great pickup as well. But on the whole, they need these young guys to really step up. Jorge Alfaro even falls into this. You know, he hit 226 to 280 on base last year. There's gotta be whether again, it's acquiring hit over power types or helping these guys become better hitters. Something does have to get better here.
0: Yeah, they and again, it's it's what they've been looking for is the the athletic players. And that's fine. There's, there's, there's a, there's a degree of value obviously to that. And you want those type of players, but you need the guys that can hit. And and, uh, the trend to me seems all these high swing and miss high risk guys that it's either going to work out or it's going to be a big bust. And they're, and it's those extremes that kind of either get you really excited for them or scare you a little bit because you don't want the bottom to fall out. And then all of a sudden it's a completely imbalanced, you know,
1: albeit improved, but an imbalanced system, you know, Com- Swing toward the pitching completely. But again, even with those concerns, there's a lot of talent here. Uh, we at Baseball America had this as a top 10 farm system in our organizational talent rankings at midseason. Uh, we're going to put our organizational talent rankings together here as we move into the offseason after some trades are made. And I have a feeling, again, the Marlins are going to be in the top 10 or close to it. There's a lot of talent here. And now it's just a matter of uh, the Kim Ang regime developing it. But so far, so good. Again, we've seen a lot of promising development with their pitchers. There are some good athletic young hitters in here. And now it's just about them improving and the Marlins hopefully being able to return to the postseason. Certainly was a fascinating year for the Marlins, but I must say it does feel like the outlook for this franchise seems a lot sunnier than even going into last offseason.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And and again, going circling back to like the initial thing we are talking about that again, with there were a lot of doubts before, but I think some of the more recent moves, you know, not just hiring Kim Ang, but even on the field, the, the, the developments they've had, we not just with their prospects, but even some of the free agent signings, you're, you're starting to see them kind of start to really back up, you know, a lot of what they said initially, a lot of what Derek Jeter said initially about what they wanted to build here. And, and again, 60 game season. Yes, they made the playoffs and yeah, we, we don't know if how that would have mapped out over 162, maybe, maybe not. But I think that they took a positive step. And when you're looking at going into next season, it's still, to me, it was always kind of 2021 was still going to be like the breakthrough year for a lot of guys. And then maybe you're looking 22 when it was going to start the kind of the contention window was going to really start to open up. But we'll see. I mean, let's see how much they can fast track this over the next year or so coming off what's been a really tough year.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think – Just the fact you can say, hey, the Marlins have talent. and They're a young, up-and-coming team. That's something that has not really been the case for many, many, many years. So they're certainly in a better place.
0: And even a team that you can believe can maybe keep it together for a while, which has always historically been their problem. they not just, you know, two good years and that's it.
1: Yeah, no, there's no (laughs) doubt about that. Sustained success is tricky even if you have the financial resources. Without it, it's even trickier, but we'll see what they're able to do. Andre, any final thoughts?
0: All good. I'm hoping we have a normal year, or at least as close to a normal year as possible. It'll be good to get good to get some minor league baseball going again, and 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 really see see these guys continue to do what they're doing.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think we're all hoping for a more normal year next year, for both baseball reasons and world reasons, bigger picture yeah. reasons, to say the least. No Andre, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Thanks, Kyle. No, appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Andre Fernandez, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there.